Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. We'd like to uh, welcome and thank you all for joining us on the uh, Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. We're very excited to have uh, Solomon Colvin with us today. And um, one thing that's really interesting about uh, Solomon is his work in the industrial space, which I think will be very exciting, and um, a lot of other things that he's been able to accomplish over his times. So, hey, man, how you doing this morning, first of all? I'm doing good, man. You know, as the old saying would go, blessed and highly favored. <laughs> okay, all right, there you go, there you go. Yeah. Hey, very good, very good. So, so tell us a little bit um, about what you're doing right now, what's your focus, and um, and then we'll uh, dive into some other issues uh, as it relates to it. What, what's the main thing that you're focused on right now and, and what you've been uh, getting accomplished? Oh, sure. So I'll just start with my name and then the company name. So Solomon Coven III, of course, and I work with Sands Investment Group. And we're a national net lease brokerage firm. We're based here in Atlanta. We're one of seven offices strategically placed throughout the country. And I focus and lead our industrial team here in our Atlanta office. And me and my team, we primarily focus on manufacturing distribution of uh, small to medium-sized businesses. So we focus a lot with owner users and trying to work with them and helping them to do uh, sale leasebacks. And basically primarily throughout the country, but we're mainly trying to focus more of staying on this uh, on the southeast now, okay. it's becoming more of a focus. So, gotcha, gotcha. So, for our guests that are with us today, <clears throat> explain what a, a sale leaseback is. What exactly is that? How does it work? And how does it benefit uh, both parties involved? With sale? Yeah. So, a sale leaseback. Basically, what you're doing, you're monetizing the real estate. Mm-hmm. On that for that particular owner. So let's just say the owner, the owner will come to us and say, well, hey, you know, Solomon, we're running this operation and we're looking to grow from one location or one building or one facility to three, four, five. And but we don't want to, we don't want to finance it with money out of our pocket or through traditional financing through the bank. So we'll present with them an option to to do a sale leaseback, basically where we would monetize the real estate and then use those funds from the sale of that real estate to for them to pour back into the business, to grow the business, to grow the footprint, pay off debt, pay down various expenses. But the caveat to that is they have to sign a brand new lease with the new owner of the current facility that they will be doing the sale leaseback on. So helping them kind of work through that process, understanding the numbers, what it looks like. So that's kind of the advantage side. Some of the disadvantages to it, you know, it, it could run them into where they have to pay various taxes, you know, things like that over the long term. But if they're starting that process, if they're on that growth path, you once you start it, you kind of got to keep it going from a sale leaseback standpoint in order for it to make sense long term. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a way for the person to, to keep their operation running exactly where it is. Uh, Absolutely. But also, but also have that cash in order to do some other things. 
Absolutely. And to also help fund growth and expansion if they want to, you know, open other facilities in that same area mm-hmm. or maybe expand into other markets. Right. And why would some people do that instead of a refinance of the existing facility? It's just really down to personal choice and based on what their business model is and based on their finances. Mm-hmm. Um, because I talk to folks a lot of times where they'll tell me, well, Solomon, that's just not something that we want to do. Mm-hmm. We've looked at it. We've looked at the numbers. It just doesn't benefit us from a cost perspective to do that. Or they'll come back and say, we thought about it, but it just doesn't work for us at this particular moment in time. Maybe two or three years down the road after we built the business up, expanded a little bit within the current facility that we have, maybe we can come back around and review it at that point in time. So it just really depends on the individual and where the business is at that particular point in time. Yeah, yeah. All right, sounds good. And then also I know sometimes with a <clears throat> with a refi, you might not actually get enough cash to do what you want to do also. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I'm sorry, I just saw a question pop up about what's the typical lease term on a sale lease back. Mm-hmm. Um, it can range. It can range anywhere from five to 10 to 15 to 20, 25 year. Again, it just depends on that individual. Like, for example, we are currently working on a deal out of Tennessee where the guy wants to do a 10 year sale lease back. But I showed him options of 15, 20, 25 and what it would look like from a cost perspective. But he didn't want to go with that high term because of the expenses that would be involved in it. So we're just going to stick to the 10 year. So it just really depends. Okay. All right. Then you've also got to be in a position to get out of that lease in 10 years, you know. Absolutely. Basically, yeah. Absolutely. And the interesting thing about it, the investor coming in, looking at that sale lease back, they want to make sure you're a viable operation. Mm -hmm. You know, first and foremost, can you pay the rent? Yeah. Can you pay the rent on time? And then can you pay the rent once the increases kick in if you have options to renew? Because typically it's a 10-year sale lease back two five-year options to renew. So they, they want to make sure that you can actually fund it throughout the course of that lease term. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. So very interesting. <clears throat> and you mentioned Tennessee. So does your office also cover the whole Southeast region? or Because I would assume that you're taking care of Tennessee as well as part of your client base. Yes, sir. So our offices are in Santa Monica. We have one in Philly, Austin, Texas. Charleston, South Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, no, Charlotte, yeah, Charlotte, North Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, right. and um, and in Atlanta. So we kind of work in tandem with the folks in Charlotte and in Philly along that East Coast corridor. So we, we have monthly and weekly calls on who's working on what, so we're not stepping on each other's toes. And like, if I'm calling Joel, asking him about his building in Charlotte, making sure that the guy in Charlotte hasn't already called you like six to seven times. Right, right. It, it just wouldn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So this, this is uh, kind of interesting because we, we generally don't talk about industrial on the on the podcast here. And, you know, there's not a lot of people that are focused on it because it's, it's not the glamorous real estate, right? Absolutely. It's not <laughs> at the heart of the city and it's not glass and, you know, 40 yep. stories tall. It's so, dirty. Uh, it's right, dirty. Right. It's, it's, it's gritty kind of work. But, but it's caught a lot of attention because of the the demand for it. And Absolutely. Especially with people shifting from uh, your general retail to more of, um, you know, doing shopping online. I mean, all that online shopping is basically being done through 
storage facilities, and then you have data farms and things of that sort as well. So do you guys actually handle data farms as well? We do. So we work with, we handle anything and everything industrial. Okay. So as I mentioned earlier, our firm, you heard the, the tagline, uh, net lease investment firm. Mm-hmm. So the firm was founded on net lease retail. Mm-hmm. And then over the last several years, they expanded out to different product types, uh, QSR, quick service restaurants, medical, drug stores, automotive, car washes, you name it. And then industrial actually came on board, actually, when I first started at the firm back in 2018. So June last month made about four years for me being with the firm. Mm -hmm. And when I started with them, they didn't have an industrial division. So I kind of kicked that off and uh, we just kind of grew it out. And so now that we have seven offices, you have probably anywhere from two to three guys, maybe four or five Mm -hmm. that are focused on industrial in that particular office. And every group focuses on a different aspect of it. You, you know, you may have some guys that are chasing cold storage. You have some guys chasing self-storage, mm-hmm. which falls up under the, mat- the mantle of industrial. You'll have some guys focused on industrial real estate on the credit tenant side, um, like your FedExes, your DHLs, your equipment rentals, Sunbelt rentals, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have guys like me that focus on distribution manufacturing from an owner-user standpoint. You know, and what that would mean, like I'm, I would call Joel um, because I realized in research that you are running a distribution facility out of a building in, you know, Charlotte or in South Carolina and have a conversation with you to see where you are within your business. What are your plans for your real estate? Are you looking to grow? Are you at a stage in life where you're looking to retire? Are you looking to just sell off and just get out of it totally? So in having that conversation, it helps us, it helps me and my team and everyone on our team to better orchestrate a plan to help you accomplish that goal. Okay. All right. Well, sounds good. Sounds good. Now, it's, it's um, interesting. You mentioned also that uh, they didn't even have an industrial division before you really got there and kind of kicked that off. So what, let's go into a little bit of, of your background. You know, how in the world did you get to be at this place where you are today, where you're kicking off the industrial division of a company? You know, did you used to work in a factory or something or, you know, how did that well, work out? Well, interestingly, <laughs> interestingly enough, when I came out of the REIT program, because I'm actually a graduate of Project REIT in 2012, you know, the market was just in a real different place at that time. We were just coming off, you know, 08, 09, the catastrophe that that brought across the country. So things were starting to pick up a little bit in 2012, but not quite to where it is now and today. So, you know, I came out of the class you know, I think we it was like 12 weeks at that time, came out fresh, you know, and just networking like crazy, you know, networking, interviewing, setting up coffee meetings, working LinkedIn, just doing everything I could to try to at least get my foot in the door because my primary background was finance. So that's what I did in my previous life, Every, any, everything from um, financial analysis to data analytics. So in my mind, you know, I wanted to combine the two and just bring the finance over with the real estate, which I had been licensed since college. And I did residential for a number of years. So I just wanted to merge the two together and bring them over to the commercial side. Because in my mind, ideally, I wanted to start on the deal-making team 
as an analyst, you know, very low pay. Those positions are typically, I was cool with that. I just wanted to get my foot in the door, but man, I got every door slammed in my face and like (laughs) for five years straight, it it was interesting because during that time, Reap had came back on board. So I started volunteering with that organization and started helping to lead it for the Atlanta office. So my focus kind of turned more toward that and working with the folks coming through the program to kind of help them get on board and avoid some of the stumbling blocks that I was actually going through. But I just kept pushing and kept pushing. And then I um, had researched and found about found out about this company, Sands Investment Group, that was local. And I thought, okay, net lease brokerage firm that combines both, you know, the finance side of it and real estate. It just makes sense. So I just started kind of chasing those guys down. And then I finally, you know, lo and behold, finally got an opportunity, got the interview, got vetted, and then came on board. And at the time, uh, believe it or not, it's funny you mentioned working in a factory. I was actually working part-time at FedEx as a uh, forklift driver. I went back and got certified. And I knew as I transitioned into the brokerage side, I was going to need some additional income. Mm -hmm. So I'm working six to midnight, moving freight up and down a warehouse on Moreland. And so when I started with the company, I initially thought I would do banks. Again, finance. That's my that's my background. Sure. But then I thought about it. I was like, well, I looked and did research and realized that it really wasn't a huge market for the sale of banks. Now, granted, everybody can find online a bank that's listed for sale. Mm-hmm. But compared to a Dollar General, can't compare. It's not it's not even close, not as many, so to speak. So it just clicked, man. I thought, well, okay. I'm doing this freight, running this freight up and down the, you know, the dock every night. Why not look into industrial? So I started kind of digging into that. And then I realized that nobody in our office was actually doing it. Now, a couple of the guys had actually did a deal or two here or there, but nobody never really took a deep dive. So I decided to just take a deep dive in it and just been, I just decided to stick with it and been running with it ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's impressive. That's impressive. And you know, one thing I want to certainly give you credit for is uh, being willing to hustle outside of your your sweet spot. I mean, it's not a job with a shirt and tie, but, you know, at some bank building, looking at financials, but um, being able to get out there and do what you need to do in order to put food on the table in order, you know, until that point kicks off is, uh, is certainly very admirable and um, something everybody needs to remember, right? Yeah. That you got to do what you got to do to eat. So very, very good. Yeah, um, no, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I kind of alluded to this a little bit, but why is industrial so hot? And and what would you say is the hottest area right now? I mean, I've heard about data centers. Um, I even tried to acquire some land uh, near a data center that's going up in Douglasville. You also have, um, you know, cold storage. Uh, one guy was just swaying up and down about cold storage. Uh, one of my boys bought Dollar General's. So, you know, I know about that. So you, you tell me, I mean, what's really the, the hottest thing right now that you would say in industrial, you know, for someone looking in from the outside? I mean, I would say anything, and, and this is based on our view and what we see day to day, the folks we talk to, I would say anything industrial if you can find the right deal. Now, of course, data centers are huge. Mm-hmm. They're just so expensive. And it's just a real small net of folks focusing on that particular sector. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just super expensive. Expensive to own, expensive to build. Cold storage, exact same thing. Expensive to own, um, expensive to build. Any bite-sized deal that you can get on the manufacturing side, on the distribution, on the distribution side, will prove to serve well long term. Because the ideal is. You know, if you're kind of breaking into industrial, and I hear it all the time when we're talking to guys that have a whole suite of retail, but they're looking to shave off half of it mm-hmm. and take those funds and buy into industrial. They always start with one deal, whether it's a warehouse, whether it's a small manufacturing facility, small distribution. And when you hear distribution manufacturing, you think, oh my, like that's 100, 200,000 square feet. Not necessarily. You know, you can have a building that's 5,000 square foot, mm-hmm. uh, 5,000 square foot building classified as manufacturing or distribution. Mm-hmm. So one deal could lead you into other multiple deals as you continue to grow out your portfolio. So any aspect of it will prove to, you know, be lucrative over time if you're looking to get into it and stay into it. Right, right. So let me ask this, if I was um, if I was looking to get into industrial, and you mentioned that really there is all sides of it, it just really depends on the deal. Right. Saying, what areas should I be looking in to do industrial? Because um, a lot of times you see these areas that are, you know, factories and rural areas. You see industrial corridors, you see airports, you see interstate highways um, as being areas. I, what, what would you say to that? What are the real key areas? That we need to look at. Well, I, I would first take an assessment of, you know, what is what is your goal? You know, what are you looking, what are you looking to accomplish, whether it be short term or long term? Then what type of dollars are you looking to invest in? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what location ideally would you think to be in? Because everyone thinks top MSA, Charlotte, Atlanta, Jacksonville, um, Charleston. Mm-hmm. But those areas are so tight right now as it relates to industrial deals. You have deals there, but they're expensive. So by them being so expensive, it forces you to move to the outskirts. Like ideally, like Atlanta would be ideal, but it's expensive. It's tight. So you might look further north, like in Rome, mm-hmm. or further south, McDonough, maybe Macon, um, maybe even further past Macon. So we would have a conversation around, are you comfortable with you know, those potential areas. Because you may tell me, well, well, Solomon, I want to be able to ride by my building and take a look at it every day, which you do have folks that want to do that. Yeah. Some some folks are very strategic and I don't want to own any real estate that's not within a 10-mile radius of where I live or 15-mile radius of where I live. Mm-hmm. So it makes it kind of hard to, excuse me, find deals that make sense. But if you're brand new to it and you say, look, I got you know, a meal, maybe one, a meal, two meal. And I want to, you know, then matter location wise, just find me the best deal that makes sense based on my projections and what I'm looking at. Then that gives me more opportunity to put more opportunities in front of you that could potentially make sense. But anything along that, you know, the East Coast, Midwest, as long as you're, you know, of course, near a major interstate, you know, for that last mile distribution, you know, play. If, if that's ideal or, um, you know, just plain warehouse storage, you know, maybe even self-storage, if that's something that would be ideal. But again, at the end of the day, 
I can give you the best deal that I feel is good for you, but if the numbers don't make sense, it just it's just not gonna work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. And and usually, are you looking for uh, multi-tenanted opportunities or just purely single tenant? Because you mentioned that you mainly focus on net lease deals, so I would assume you're looking more at um, you know single tenant net lease opportunities. Is, is that really the focus, or or does it matter, or does it again go back to what you want as a buyer? What you want as a buyer, I, I believe, and just really getting to know you to find out, again, what's the goal? What's your motivation, basically? You know, are you trying to grow a portfolio from start to end? Are you looking to do this to leave it for your family? Are you trying to build in some supplemental income for retirement? That really makes the difference on the type of deal that we need to search for and find. So it could be single tenant, Mm -hmm. it could be multi-tenant, or it could be vacant. I mean, we sell vacant buildings too. You know, but the challenge with that would be, well, do you have tenant relationships? But you may say, well, no, Solomon, I don't. Do you have them? Well, we can work with you in finding a potential tenant for that particular space. But you have to have you have to have the long game in mind for that because it could take some time. So but that motivation is really key to make sure we you know, get the right deal for you. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, that sounds good. So, you know, again, as you you think through that, you say, okay, you know, I I want industrial to be part of the portfolio, maybe not all multifamily or not all this, not all that. And um, if you're going to diversify, it's really a matter of starting off with all those key questions up front, as opposed to just jumping out there saying, okay, I'm going to buy this building and hope and pray that I get somebody to fill it. Because there are people that do that and get in trouble. Well, you know, that's, that's a part of our day on a day-to-day basis. Like most of our time is spent doing lead gen. So we're lead generating. Mm-hmm. We're on the phones constantly, you know, cold calling. And again, reaching out to somebody like a Joel. Hey, you know, I saw that you own this property. What are your future plans for it? You know, we kind of have a script that we kind of run through. But again, we're not just looking to, and I tell guys this all the time, I'm in the brokerage business, but I'm an advisor first. Okay. I'm going to advise you on what I feel you need to do for this particular asset to make it a win-win. But I need to know more about it. I need to know more about the asset. I need to know more about you. I may realize based on the information you share, maybe I don't want to work with this asset. Maybe I don't want to work with you. Maybe we just don't, you know, and now that's real. And so you're you're constantly having these conversations, meaningful conversations to get to a place of kind of meet in the middle. Well, hey, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. This is what I can bring to the table. This is what I can provide. Right, right. All right. Well, no, sounds good. Sounds good. Now, I do want to pivot into uh, another area here, but I want to open up the line also. We're kind of at that halfway point. So sure. if you have any questions for uh, Solomon, uh, please put those in the chat. You can even raise your virtual hand if you choose to. And uh, we'll go a little bit deeper into this uh, discussion about industrial and other things. One thing I, I wanted to mention, and you mentioned this earlier, that you're a graduate of, of REIT. Yes, sir. Uh, congratulations for that. Obviously, it's, it's benefited you immensely. Uh, for those who might be listening to this podcast or downloading it, we're, we've got about I don't know how many shows we got now, maybe 40, and we've got about 2,000 downloads. So there are a lot of people listening to it, which we're happy about that. 
Uh, at least that sounds like a lot to me. Maybe I'm wrong. That's awesome, man. Congrats. Okay, That's right. awesome. I'm new in this yeah. podcast world. This ain't what I That's do. That's awesome. Living, so that is I, awesome. Um, I appreciate that. But talk to us a little bit about REAP and the value of, of REAP and, and where you saw the benefit in being part of that program. And obviously now you do a lot of work behind the scenes as it relates to REAP as well. Why, why do you stay so involved and engaged? I'm I'm a I'm a servant at heart. Like I like giving back. You know, I like, you know, helping others avoid various obstacles that, you know, I may have encountered mm-hmm. or maybe missteps that I had along the way. Now, granted, don't get it twisted. In this real estate business, mm-hmm. on the commercial side, you're going to have your own set of obstacles. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just hands down. Regardless of what sector you're in, you're going to run into those roadblocks. But if I can help shave off some of the typical roadblocks, like, you know, who to talk to, make an introduction or, you know, what questions to ask or, you know, how to convey something or how to look at something or somebody says something to you that was this way, but maybe it wasn't that way. Maybe you're looking at it kind of wrong. So I enjoy doing that. And read, I mean, bar none, the program is just, and I'm not, you know, just blowing smoke. The program is really awesome. It gives you an opportunity to come in for 10 weeks, Mm-hmm. And sat down with folks, I mean, such as yourself. I mean, you came and actually presented, you know, to our class, you know, a couple of years back. And to meet folks like you in all different aspects of commercial real estate, you know, whether it be multifamily, uh, retail leasing, site acquisition, financing, um, debt consolidation, industrial, office, uh, medical. And these folks take time out of their busy schedule to come to talk to you as a student about their background and what they do, how it relates to the current market, how they may have got into it, how they transition, and then what's forthcoming that you could look forward to if that's an industry that you desire to be a part of. And you get that in 10 weeks, which is, you know, bar none, just, you know, remarkable to whereas you're out there kind of beating the pavement, you know, trying to meet folks, networking, which is still good, but this is a program that kind of brings it to your doorstep. And I've just always enjoyed working with the program. And now, uh, you know, we have two awesome young ladies, you know, leading the program, Black Girl Magic, and they're killing it. Uh, you know, uh, Deneen and the Jerry. Shout out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Giving them that, that shout out, that plug. Um, and they're doing an amazing, amazing job in leading the program. And the program is just continuing to grow by leaps and bounds here in Atlanta. And I'm kind of behind the scenes a lot, um, not in the forefront as much as I used to be when we were running the program, but I'm always available. I still talk to alums, you know, in the program that might have questions or that might be considering job opportunities and they might need advice. I always make myself available because it's hard, you know, because we make up a very small portion of the industry still Mm-hmm. And hopefully organizations like this, you know, opportunities like I'm having now to speak to your audience will foster change and help more folks become, one, knowledgeable of the industry, and two, have an interest to get into it. But then three, they would have a suite of folks that they can connect with mm-hmm. that can help them along the way. Yeah. yeah. How important do you think that is? Because that's, a, that, that's a, a big point. Oh, it. It's extremely important because, you know, a lot of times in this industry, as I mentioned earlier, you may run into 
certain deals or certain folks that are that you're dealing with on these deals that might say something or might convey something that you don't quite understand. I mean, granted, you got to have thick skin. Don't get me wrong. And everything is not um, everything is not intended to come off as a you know strike or an insult at you. Mm-hmm. You know, but being a black man, if you're in an organization where you look to your left, or you look to your right, you see no one but you. And that's it. And you you're just kind of in that whole seat. And I experienced that, you know, with my current company. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn how to navigate those waters because you're navigating you're navigating that particular sea being the only one. Then you're navigating the sea of being on the phone, cold calling, reaching out to individuals that have no clue of who you are. It's tough in itself. Right. Or why you're calling them. And then you're navigating a sea of, you know, you got a couple of deals going and they're in the pipeline and they're right there at the end about to close, then they fall out. Now you got to start back over from ground zero. And sometimes, you know, it can it can weigh on you. And just being honest, it weighs on you. But it helps to have outlets like this where you can reach out to people and be like, look, man, I just had a crazy day. Let me run this situation by you. Want to get your thoughts on it. Oh, I'm having trouble with this. Can you take a look at this and make sure I'm reading this the right way? You know, so organizations like REIT here in Atlanta, of all places, is extremely important. Yeah. Extremely. Yeah, Bar none. Yeah, no, you, you bring up very, very good points. It's um it's amazing because uh, I know even for myself, um, you know, when, once that recession hit, I thought it was the end of the world. You know, I mean, things were going so crazy back there in uh, 09 and, and 10. And back then, you know, you you start to feel like, well, I had all these relationships and look at look at what's going on. Right. Right. Have, you know, I got this problem, got that problem. But at the end of the day, you know, having those relationships help pull you through. If nothing else, seeing what other people are doing. In order to to you know make that next step to the next level, yeah, and yeah, and go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I was just going to mention, and as you're um, and, and as you're building those relationships, you know, believe it or not, you're still learning. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking to somebody else who is in the industry doing site acquisition. They're talking to you about what they're doing. That's still knowledge that you can take and use you know, and share with other folks that you're talking to to try to make that transition in. Yeah. Um, I just saw a question pop up about what various resources I used and leaned on, which is kind of a good segue. <clears throat> Again, like reaching out to like industry organizations like ICSC, you know, NAOP. And really for me, LinkedIn was my friend. Like I researched like crazy any and everybody who was in the industry on the industrial, I mean, not on the industrial side, but on the commercial side, mm-hmm. that was somewhere centered around finance, you know, on a deal making team. So if I could send you a request and you accept it, if I could get a 15 minute meeting with you, I had a down pack. I'll need 15 minutes. I got three solid questions I'm going to ask and I'm good. And I just want the information. And, and you had, and I had to convey a lot of times because sometimes folks would think, Oh, you want a job or you want, you know, kind of a hookup. Like, no, it's not that. I just want the information. Give me the information and let me take and do with it what I need to do with it. And you just have to just keep consistently doing it. Because one thing I would always tell the students and read was that when you get on this, when you get on this path or this track, whether it's brokerage, 
whether it's on the you know corporate side. Mm-hmm. Once you start it, man, you and you probably will agree with this. You got to keep going. You can't stop because yeah. if you stop for a week, they you will be forgotten about. Yeah. Somebody else will call that guy that you were about to call on that deal and get that deal listed, and then you'll be sitting there like, man. Yep. I should I should have made that phone call. You came in your backyard and picked fruit off your tree. All day, every day. <laughs> Sav- savages. <laughs> yep, yep. That's the game, man. You That's know, the game. And, yeah, and it's 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 really interesting when you think about it as well. Like um, I think it was last week we had uh, you know, Mike Tab, which um, you know, is running real estate for Google right now. You know, it's kind of amazing because of the years that have gone by, you never know how those dots will connect down the road. And to be able to, to pick up the phone and it's like, hey, man, what's happening? And, and now, but now we've known each other, you know, 15 plus years. Yeah. You know? Awesome, brother. Yeah. Awesome, exactly. brother. So, but it, it's building those relationships. And even though you might feel like there's no immediate value, there might be down the road. So build them anyway. Make those relationships, be friendly with people, never think you're superior than anyone else. You know, and, and always just um, have an open door and an open heart to help people. And uh, you can really get some value from that. You know? you know, I would always tell the students, too, when you're fostering relationships and, and meeting individuals, you know, try to make it genuine on really wanting to get to know the individual and create the relationship. Don't approach it like, well, hey, you're in a position you know, can you give me an opportunity or can you recommend me for an opportunity? No, just have a real sincere interest on building the relationship. And if you do that, trust me, the opportunities will come. Right. You know, and that's hard to tell an individual that's not in the industry and looking to get in. It's hard for them to hear that because it's like, man, that's easy for you to say because you are already in. Like, I don't want to hear that. I need an opportunity. I got bills, you know, whatever the case may be. But I'm telling you, it works. It works. You got to stick to it and you got to be authentic because people can literally see through it. This industry, commercial real estate, although huge and big, when you really get in it, man, it is very small and finite. There's only a few individuals making things happen, calling the shots, can really get deals done, moving inventory, moving assets, very few far in between. So you want to make sure you're that guy or young lady that they're saying, well, hey, I talked to so-and-so. I talked to them and met them. Great individual. Had a great conversation. Bar none, liked them, talked, had a good lunch meeting with them or whatever. You want to make sure that that can be stated about you in this industry because it will, your name will spread. I can't tell you the number of times I'll call somebody on the phone, Legion, and they'll say, well, yeah, oh yeah, I talked to um, so-and-so and they said, you know, you were a good guy and I just had to, you know, such, I'm like, like, yeah. who? Where that come from? Yeah. <laughs> who, who was that again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I didn't remember that, but it, it does come back full circle. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can't emphasize that enough. You know, I had mentioned about the benefit of receiving, you know, things that you can receive as a benefit from knowing people for a long time. But really, you're, you're doing it out of a, a genuineness because you don't know if it's going to be approved, you know? Right. And um, I, I remember uh, one guy that I worked with in the past, you know, he came to me with some deals and stuff and I checked him out. And I was like, yeah, this guy's, you know, he ain't all about nothing. Can't hold nothing, can't get nothing done. Why am I going to waste my time with him? But then I said, you know what? 
I was at that point too, at one point where I was learning, I was trying to get things done. I had no idea how to close deals. You know, it took time, but it took me also having those relationships and having people that I could talk to and that could help direct my steps. And so, uh, you know, wound up still working with this guy and uh, we're doing some, some big stuff now, you know, all because awesome. of him kind of giving the Heisman and say, you know, get away from me. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but I got you. Yeah. But it, but it was genuine and, um, you know, turned out to be a real nice guy and, and there's a lot of benefit to it. So it's, it's really good stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's interesting you say that just one other point. Um, I had, I had someone to reach out to me about um, being a mentor you know, mm-hmm. for a commercial. And I'm and I'm giving I'm putting that plug out there just in case they on this call listening because okay. I haven't had a chance to get back to them, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to them. <laughs> it's just been a crazy couple of weeks. But it is important, man. I mean you kind of take it as an honor for someone to just kind of look at you and say, well hey, I see you're doing this. You know, I would definitely like to have an opportunity to talk with you, you know, maybe get some pointers for you and then to go as far as to say, well, to mentor, to kind of, you know, give me some proper steps to take. I mean, you know, I feel honored about that because, you know, I'm probably my worst critic, mm-hmm. you know, and I look at myself and my current business. It's going oh, it's going good. But in my mind, it should be here. It's on the way there. But in my mind right now, talking to you right now, it should be here. So I'm pushing to get it there. And so that calls for doing a lot of different things, traveling, moving about, having various conversations to try to get the right opportunity in place. But but then also knowing when to kind of slow down and then look back and then reach back and say, well, hey, I'm available. If you got questions, if I can help in any kind of way, just let me know how I can be of service. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's an admirable thing. So we certainly appreciate that and appreciate all the work that you've been doing in that regard. So let's get back to you. You know, if you were to identify your most ideal clients, uh, who would that be? What would they look like? Uh, we have a lot of people on the call. We have people also that's, that's listening in and will be listening in. Mm-hmm. So if we wanted to have your name surface to the top of that list, what would be an ideal situation I mean, anyone that is on one end looking to break into industrial, you know, to buy some deals or looking at, you know, kind of kicking off a portfolio of starting something from scratch, from small to eventually grow it, or someone who currently has assets that are looking to transition out maybe into bigger assets. You know, I'm not a guy where I'm looking at, oh, you need to be spending five, six, seven million or above for me to have a conversation. No, I'm going to have the conversation regardless of what the dollar amount is, because I don't know who you know. I don't know who you might know, who you're connected to. And I want to see if I can offer up value to help you achieve that goal. So no number is too small. You know, I've worked on deals as small as 5,000 square feet all the way up to 100 plus thousand square feet. So, I mean, I'm open. It's just a matter of having that conversation. Anybody willing to have a conversation and share what their true motivation is and what they're looking to do. And then if, and I see if I can actually help with that. You know, I'm definitely open to it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll In any part, any part of the country, doesn't matter, Southeast. Okay. It could be West Coast, okay. Midwest, doesn't matter. I need to fly out and meet you. I'll fly out and meet you. Not an issue. Wherever the deal is, we'll make it happen. All right. And you got the resources for that. So that, that should be fine. Yep. Um, I do want to ask you one other thing. Uh, as sure. we, 
because we'll be wrapping up in about 10 minutes. So, uh, guys, if you got any other questions, make sure you put those in the chat or, or raise your hand as well. Be happy to get those in. But one thing I, I did want to ask you about, and this is something even for myself that's been going around in my head, is is it better to buy, and I, again, it could depend on a lot of variables, but, you know, there's there's a lot of value, say, for an example, in multifamily, we're buying, let's say, C-class properties and moving them up to B, for an example, right? right? In industrial, you have a lot of facilities that are run down, they're dilapidated, but you know, they don't, they might not cost that much to renovate and get back up and going again. Have you found people find greater value in buying new properties or renovating old properties and, and selling them off that way or renting them out that way? I mean, what, what do you see? Or is it, or is new construction, even with interest rates and the, the cost of construction now the way to go? Well, it's interesting you say that. Uh, we have that conversation pretty much on a weekly basis really? okay. because you do have a lot of industrial product out there that are class C that is still a, could be a suitable property, but key factors would be, is it in the right location? How much square footage do you have on the building? You know, is it sprinkled? How high is the ceiling? Most buildings now, you know, individuals, they want, you know, 28 to 30 plus clear height. So to kind of, you know, elaborate on that, like if you go in Sam's Club or Costco and you see the pallets sitting all the way at the top. So a lot of investors or a lot of uh, owners need that space so they can maximize that height so they can store. Because sure. if, if they max out all the space on the floor, they need to go high. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of older buildings out there that are just not high in ceiling height. They don't have all their older buildings. They might be metal buildings, metal roof. Roof might need to be repaired. And I was you know, I was talking to a gentleman at one of the NAOP conferences who actually focused on roof. Mm -hmm. That was his business. He did roofs like uh, brand new, revise them, whatever the case may be. And we were having that conversation. And the fact that in, in industrial, there's a space is really tight. There's like a billion worth of space that needs to be delivered. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, you have all of these older buildings out there that could potentially work for some of that. But if it's not well located and then the building is so old, do you just put a Band-Aid on some aspects of the building to get it up to par? Or do you just totally wipe it out and just build from ground up? And I think that's what a lot of people will eventually have to do that own this, the Class C buildings. If it needs a lot of major work, mm -hmm. just to wipe it out and just kind of start to build from ground up. But to your point, building costs are just up extremely high. So the, theoretically, that's not ideal. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of make work what you currently have. So that investor coming in, he'll look at that and say, you're asking X amount for this building. What type of tenant do you have in the building? What type of, you know, CapEx have you done on the building? You know, basically maintenance, roof work, HVAC, you know, electrical, plumbing, how much power do you have going to the building? You know, what are your costs? What are your expenses? That'll help determine for that investor if that deal is a viable deal. And that could just be a smaller deal for them and their portfolio just to kind of help offset inflation right. as opposed to going after, you know, class B or class A in some cases where those prices could be extremely high. So it just really kind of depends on the actual investor and what they're looking to do. Okay. Okay. Well, sounds good. Like you said, it's kind of a loaded <laughs> question and the, the answer could be all over the place. So just kind of depends on, on exactly what you want to do. 
the last thing I, I do want to ask is uh, demand. You know, obviously demand shot up because of, of COVID. Right. Both staying home, working at home and everything else. As we hopefully transition away from COVID and things kind of get back to normal, do you see demand for industrial going down at all? Interestingly, I do not. It continues to, I mean, the pricing for industrial right now is just still kind of through the roof. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're seeing some, in some aspects, some crazy pricing for certain buildings in certain locations. Again, it all depends on location to tenant, what type of credit. Of course, Amazon, FedEx, DHL, you're going to get a higher price point as opposed to somebody making, you know, widgets. And to your point, in a rural area, you know, down in Alabama or North Carolina, so to speak, no pun intended. So it just really kind of depends. But I don't see demand going down anytime soon. Now, will it eventually correct itself? I do see prices correcting themselves just due to um, inflation and interest rates rising. I think the Fed is supposed to bump the rate up a little bit more this week, if I'm not mistaken. So I see that allowing prices to be corrected. But for industrial, I don't see it going down. If anything, it'll correct itself. But I think it still will be a strong demand for it. People want it. They just they can't get enough of it at this point. Well, good stuff. I I don't think retail is necessarily ever going to go back to what it was. Uh, When you can sit at your house and click a few buttons and get what you want delivered to your house. So it's, uh, there's always going to be that demanding, in my opinion. Let's get this question in from uh, Tamika Clark. Tamika, if you want to unmute, that'll be great. There you go. Yes, thank you. Um, hi, Solomon. Hello, how are you? Thank you for sharing today. So my question was, like, the buildings that you guys go after, are they currently already, well, they can't already be under lease. I could think I'm asking my own question. So they actually own the building. Do they usually carry a note? You just look at them and then figure that all out to how to buy them back i'm just trying to no i I get it it's all of that it could be the owner of the building could have a tenant that's leasing the building or the owner of the building could have the building vacant the owner could actually have debt on the building still or he could own it free and clear so it just really depends on that particular owner of that particular property and what they have going. That's why it's so important for us to really have that conversation to get a clear understanding. Like, well, do you have a tenant in the building? If you do have a tenant, what type of lease term do they have left? You know, if it's a credit tenant, okay, it's just, you know, we understand like, okay, it's top-notch credit, FedEx, DHL. But if it's a company we never heard of, you know, what is the credit? What are the finances? What do they look like? Because that owner is going to say, well, Solomon, I want to try to achieve this amount for that particular building. Well, if the finances don't line up, then we might not be able to get you that amount. So it just really depends. If your building is not in good shape, you know, if you haven't tended to the roof or if you're having some electrical issues, all of that's going to play a part in the pricing if we were to take that, you know, building out um, to list it and sell it. So do you do any improvement on the buildings when you do go in and buy them or do you just kind of, how is that, if you do you know if it needs work? Well, it, it depends on the buyer that we're working with for that particular property. Now, we always uh, bake in due diligence for the properties that we, you know, sell or we, you know, work with buyers to buy. And that due diligence can range from, I've seen it as low as 30 days, 
as to as high as 90 days. And within that time frame, the individual buying the building, we, they will have various inspectors go out to inspect the building, inspect the roof, inspect the electrical to make sure the building is up to par. And whatever they find out that's not pleasing, they bring it back to the table. We have that conversation. And then if we have to chop down the price a little bit, then we have to go back and sell that to the actual owner of the building that's trying to sell it. Well, hey, Mr. Owner, this is the report. You know, you didn't take care of the roof or they found this. Unless you're willing to fix it, it's going to have to come off the top of the price. Right. Does that you. <clears throat> Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. All right. Thanks, Tamika. We appreciate you uh, participating today. So, Solomon, it's been great, man. Yes, it has. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah. This has been very insightful. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to talk to you offline. There's uh, been a, a few things I've been looking to stick my toe in industrial, you know, because there's some huge opportunities there. And hopefully uh, not as much maintenance as like an apartment building where you have a lot of tenants moving in and out, um, especially if you do something single, single, uh, excuse me, single tenant lease uh, type properties. So uh, we'll talk more about that. But I, I certainly appreciate you calling out a little bit of time to talk with us today. And is there any uh, final words that you want to share with our guests as we, um, you know, look at uh, possibly doing business in the industrial space? No, I mean, you know, definitely keep your eye on the market. I mean, deals are popping out and coming out every day. My information is online. You know, definitely reach out to me if you see a deal. If you're thinking about investing in an industrial deal and you see a deal and you want to know if it's a viable deal, please reach out, share it with me. I'll walk you through the process, help you with it. I mean, it's just really a lucrative time right now for industrial. I mean, it's it's the best time to get in it, you know, on the investor side Mm -hmm. and even on um, the brokerage side of it, if that's something that you're looking to do. You know, I know that they do have a couple of corporate opportunities on the industrial side, too, if you work for like a corporate firm or something like that. Um, But, you know, it's exciting times. Don't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. Just like you said earlier, you just got to be prepared to get a little dirt because, you know, you might have to, you know, walk a couple of walk a couple of buildings and walk through some dirt and all that good stuff. But if you're okay with that, then you cool. Yeah. Yeah. Bring your boots. Put them in the trunk. That's right. That's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Solomon, we, we certainly appreciate it. Um, all of you with us today. This has been the uh, Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. Uh, special thanks to Solomon Colvin for being the third, for being Thank here you. today. Uh, we, we certainly appreciate that. And uh, hey, man, I, I know I'm going to see you around at some function probably in the next few weeks. So, yes, sir. Uh, always good to see you and catch up with you. And thank you for being here today. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you, man. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.